Good morning, good morning. Man, this morning we're going to do something a little different for the first 10 minutes or so of uh, the message time. I'm going to, it's going to be a great thing if you're a guest because you're going to learn a lot about the church even from our past. But I kind of have an announcement I want to make uh, to you guys for a very specific and important reason. But I've got to kind of start in the past. So let me back up 27 years ago. 27 years ago, a young whippersnapper named Randy Kirby came to our church as the music minister. And uh, he was uh, serving with uh, Ron Grizzle, was a pastor then. And uh, Ron, uh, in about 1996, went to Randy Kirby and and said, Hey, let's let's start a, a new style of worship. And uh, didn't call it anything different, really just mainly focused on it, on it being less traditional. And so in that first, uh, that first, I guess, step in a series of steps, uh, Ron Grizzle led us through with Randy Kirby's help to, to start a, basically a blended service for the first time ever. Eventually the choir and orchestra came in with Randy and, and became similar to what we have in our blended service now. Uh, about three or four years later, uh, Randy Harling, our pastor in the year uh, about 1997, but in the year 2000, this should be on the screen. I don't see it yet, but you should be seeing this up here in just a minute. Uh, by the year 2000, Randy Harling and Randy Kirby um, started a contemporary service on Thursday night. And so uh, that may seem crazy, but this service used to be on Thursday nights. And uh, Randy Kirby actually led the contemporary service with the help of other folks back in those days. And uh, eventually, one year later, the year 2001, all right, so 2001, um, uh, Randy shifted that contemporary service to Sunday morning. So the first time in the history of the church, we had three services, went to two group hours, and, uh, and also made the contemporary service the 11 o'clock hour, which is the way it's been all these years. So that was 22, 21, 22 years ago when we made that move. We really haven't made any structural changes in the style of worship in 21 years. Um, but a lot's happened recently. We've experienced an awful lot of growth. And I know we talk about what God's doing all the time, and it's a good thing. We ought to praise God for it. But I don't really think we stop to really recognize what he's done or how much he's done the next slide is going to give us an idea over the last seven years of how God has grown his church. We started back in 2015 with an average attendance on Sunday morning, 1690. Now that was on three campuses at the time. We had the West Campus, downtown, and then back then, Happy Trails Cowboy Church was a campus. We later launched them off, and so basically 1690 compared to now in 2022, we have six different locations that are counted in that number because even though Laurel Baptist is not officially a campus, that 100 folks or so is in that 2748. So since January, we've averaged 2748 people. Can, can you imagine coming through COVID? It is a miracle of God that that is the slide that we can celebrate. Here's why. Because I'm telling you, I talk to pastors all the time, the normal is that churches are about 50 to 75 percent back to where they were in 2019. So you're a living testimony of, honestly, just God doing a work. Would you praise the Lord for what he's done through the church? Yeah. Praise the Lord. Now, a major part of this is is kind of finding out when we see how we're growing. And we looked around at Mother's Day, at at, uh, Reckless Weekend, even Easter Sunday. 200 of you guys were worshiping in the North Auditorium on Easter because we had to have overflow. It was slammed. 
So big days like that, we don't even have enough room in here for everybody. And so with third service downtown being like that, same thing at Harrison Bridge. They're running like 550 in a room holding 200, three services. And so that's exciting stuff for a while. And then eventually excitement leads to like frustration, right? So what we're wanting to do is make sure we make changes in in a wise and timely manner to make sure that we can continue to maximize growth and reach people. Because our goal is not to hit a ceiling, but to continue to grow. So what we really are recommending uh, is, is two major changes. And the reason why, I know I'm skipping some slides here, guys, but if y'all go ahead and just go to the time change, we're going to change our times back to 8.45, 10, and 11.15. And we really think that's going to help the first service especially. It may help everybody get to groups on time here too, give you an extra little bit of amount of time. Um, But the next change is a significant transition in style. And the reason it's significant, and I've asked, Randy's actually in here today, Randy Kirby, is because if you look back to 1996 and you look back to 2001 and if you look down at 2022, all of these are significant changes in the styles of worship. Now, when Wes came, the year after I came, we had a massive shift in, in our contemporary worship. Many of you remember that. A lot of you are brand new and maybe you don't know what we're talking about. But the definition of contemporary changed, and we, that's when we started using terminology of modern. We added the lights and the haze, and some people loved it, some people didn't. Here's the thing. Here's what is, is beautiful about the fact that our church has various styles, is that people are allowed to say, you know, what, what style do I worship the Lord in, in a most sincere way in most? And I'm going to choose that, that particular worship style. And so in, in recent days, we've started really praying about what would God have us to do. But I want to kind of point out Brother Randy because he has, through all of these transitions, not only been supportive, but he has in, in many ways led us through those transitions over the years. And this most recent change that I'm about to tell you about, it really takes a lot of humility and a lot of love for God and a lot of putting yourself on the back row. Uh, And I want to just say thank you to Brother Randy Kirby. And I want you all to just join me in affirming that. Amen. Thank you, brother. So the next slide kind of explains 845 beginning August 7th is going to be vintage worship. Now we'll explain a little bit uh, more in just a second about what that means. But 845 vintage worship, 10 o'clock, the former blended and traditional services are going to combine. They're going to join together, and uh, that'll be the 10 o'clock hour, and then our 11.15 will be exactly what you're in right now. So what is vintage? Vintage is a combination of hymns and choruses, or not choruses, that's really what we used to call them, but I mean like hymns and new songs, like the ones we sing in here. They're just done in an unplugged way, kind of. It's still very much the band will lead. There'll be no choir and orchestra. The choir and orchestra will be exclusively in the 10 o'clock hour. At 8.45, this morning, we had vintage worship at 8.30, and it was the same band that just led you in modern worship. So on most of those days, the band that leads modern will also lead vintage. And uh, it will be done in just the same quality. It's amazing worship this morning. But it's a combination of hymns and new songs. And there is no flashing lights. There is no haze. It's, it's just a lo- lot less modern of an environment. But here's, here's what I want to encourage you to do. I want to really encourage you to consider being a part of that vintage service. 
Now, some of the people from our blended service are probably going to stay. I'm hopeful about half of them. I'm hoping 100 to 150 will stay in that hour from the previous blended, blended service. But what we need is for 100 to 200, maybe more, of you guys to say, you know what, I wouldn't mind coming at 845, beginning August 7th. And here's the way you're going to be able to really determine that. Now, we may have a couple weeks where we do vintage worship at 1110 to let you see it. But you could, every other week, start checking it out at 845, 830, I'm sorry, 830 right now. And, uh, and so this Sunday was vintage. Next Sunday will be blended at 830. Then the next Sunday will be vintage. So every other week, vintage will be at 830. You could come early one day and check it out and see if it's something you think your family would like to do and worship in that hour and still keep your group the same. That's kind of a, a pitch in a sense of really trying to allow for more room for people uh, who are coming into our fellowship to stay. It's kind of making room for a boom in the future. And our hope and prayer would be that this in some sense almost levels out the three services again so that it poises all three uh, for future growth. Man, I know that's a lot of information. You may feel that, that hey, that's, is that really that relevant to us in the third service? And I think it's extremely relevant because I'm really hopeful and prayerful that you guys will, will support that and be a part of it. Um, and so, man, grateful for you taking the time to listen to that. You'll have a video that will be sent out via email. And if you're part of our mail out, kind of, you'll get it. You'll understand. It'll kind of be able to play it back and check out and make sure you understand everything. But if you have more questions, feel free to ask. Uh, because, uh, man, we just want to do everything we can to reach all that we can while we can, because we know the time is short. Go and take your Bibles and turn with me to the book of Matthew. We're in the Gospel of Matthew, and we're going to be looking there in uh, chapter 7 in just a minute. We've been in a series called Counterfeit Gospel. And this idea of a counterfeit gospel is, uh, is, is pretty significant in our culture because everywhere you turn, you've got people who are believing lies that are uh, uh, really initially motivated by the enemy, the devil himself. Uh, but at the end of the day, the, what happens is the culture kind of grabs a hold of them, begins to promote them. And if we're not careful, we as Christians will embrace them because it's kind of like the frog in the kettle thing. Uh, when you're kind of surrounded by uh, confusion and chaos, it oftentimes causes us to to kind of forget, and we get lulled to sleep, and we begin to almost believe a lie, and we can believe some things that aren't true, and uh, especially if we're exposed to uh, maybe a, a confusing gospel. Now, here's the good thing about you, no matter what campus you attend of Upstate Church, First Baptist Simpsonville, our promise is never that we're going to be the most talented communicators, but here's what I'm going to always be able to commit to you. No matter what campus you're at, when, no matter what service you're at, if you're hearing somebody at this church preach, you're going to hear the Word of God. You're going to hear somebody who's committed to the truth of God's Word. And that's, that's the most important thing I can promise to you. Because here's the thing, there's a lot of, there's a lot of uh, uh, whispers out there in the Christian community where people are super confused. And the reason why is because what they're doing is they're allowing the culture to shape their gospel. They're allowing confusion of the day to determine what they believe. And so we've got to ask the question, really, at every turn. Anytime there's a question, a problem, a difficulty, a challenge, we always have to ask this question. What do I think about the Bible? Because what you believe about that Bible is going to actually shape what you do and how you decide to respond in the culture. Um, what you believe about the Bible is going to actually determine, do you think, for instance, you know, uh, is the Bible trustworthy? Second question could be like, uh, 
did, what's the Bible actually mean? You could actually even ask this question. Does it mean now what it meant then? There's a whole lot of people who want to twist and say basically that, hey, this culture is a different culture. So anything in the Bible that is even related to culture is subjective, not objective. See, that's what we were talking about in the weeks leading up to this, if you missed it. The last few weeks, we've talked about the influence of postmodern uh, philosophy with secularism. And then, honestly, what a lot of Christians have done is just sprinkle a little Jesus on it. You know, And that's kind of how a lot of churches have compromised and given themselves over to a false gospel, a counterfeit gospel. So what do we believe about the Bible? If we don't believe the Bible's true, uh, then we're really in bad shape. And nothing we're going to determine after that really matters. Because if we can't trust the Bible, then we can't trust the gospel. If we can't trust the gospel, then we can't believe in Jesus. So here's the reality. People who don't believe the Bible yet call themselves Christians, truthfully, have an illogical faith. It doesn't make any sense. Because they're just going through the motions and they're being religious, but they don't really believe what they say they believe. And we're going to look in Scripture to answer a question of the day. The lie of the day is this. All good people go to heaven. All good people go to heaven. Now, if you think that is true, you have embraced the lie of the devil and really ultimately the lie that the culture has embraced and would like us all to believe. Now, here's the thing. Some people would say, well, man, if you don't agree with that, you're hateful. We're surrounded by really a culture that tells us it's hateful to be honest, right? It's kind of like we're, if, you, if you tell people the truth, you're really just a real mean person. And, uh, and look, the fact of the matter is if I go to the doctor, he's probably in here today. If I go to the doctor and I'll get on the scale and I've gained weight, He's not just going to tell me I'm fat. He's going to make fun of me for being fat. Y'all know. Y'all probably know who I'm talking about. He needs your prayers. Amen? I'm just telling you. And, uh, but here's the thing. We don't like the truth sometimes. Welcome to the human race. You know, it's just sometimes the truth stinks. And we don't like it about ourselves. But it doesn't stop being true. And, and in our day, we're, we're like fed this junk to where everybody gets a trophy, everybody's okay. And as a result, hearing all of that all of our lives, when we hear the gospel, we think, oh, surely all people go to heaven. Yeah, I mean, all good people especially. So we have to ask ourselves the question, okay, well, what does the Bible say about good people? What does the Bible say about that statement? Do all good people go to heaven? And I think Matthew chapter 7, verse 21 the words of Jesus himself, it's a good place to start. All right, so Matthew 7, 21. Turn and turn on your Bibles, and here we go. Matthew 7, 21, the words of Jesus. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Would you say that with me? Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Now, that's a pretty straightforward statement by the Son of God. But the one who does the will of my Father who's in heaven. Now, that sounds almost like Jesus is saying... Those who do good things. But then he makes sure and clarifies. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, didn't we not prophesy in your name? Hey, didn't, didn't we preach some good sermons? Didn't we cast out demons in your name? And, and do mighty, many mighty works in your name? Hey, didn't we go to groups? Didn't we attend church every Sunday? 
Didn't I give money to charity? Didn't I give money to the church? I mean, hey, don't forget I did these good things. Check the boxes. This is a demonstration, God. Remember what I did for you. Remember how I served you. This is what these guys are saying. Look at the words of Jesus in 23. I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Now, how in the world could Jesus call people who had done good things workers of lawlessness? Man, that's important. I want to know what this means because if I believe the Bible is true and Jesus himself is saying not all good people go to heaven, not all good church members go to heaven, not all people who do church stuff go to heaven, Not all deacons, not all pastors go to heaven. Then I want to know why. What's the deal? What's he talking about? And I think this idea of lawlessness is really the transition we've got to see. Because here's the deal. This passage is part of a larger piece of scripture. Matthew 5, 6, and 7 is called the Sermon on the Mount. This is is a message of Jesus that's recorded in three chapters of Matthew. And so... If you want to know what the Bible says where you're reading, always look what it says before and always look what it says after because that's the only way you can know contextually what what we're trying to learn from this. And so if you look at chapter 7 before it gets to verse 21, you've got multiple things. Jesus is drawing comparisons here. And he's drawing a comparison between first the narrow and the wide gate. You remember this? And he talks about the few and the many. He says few go down the narrow, many go down the broad. But then he talks about sheep and wolves. Comparison, comparison. Grapes and figs, thorns and thistles. Then he talks about um, good and bad trees. And then good and bad fruit. Now you may say, what is all that? Jesus is building up to this statement that's going to shock us all. This statement that ought to cause us all to gasp in our souls that people who think they're saved may not be. This is a big deal. It should cause us all to pause and say, I better make sure that I'm right. I want to make sure I got this right, that I'm not confused and messed up. I want to make sure I'm I'm part of the the narrow, that I'm part of the the few, not the man. I I want to make sure that I'm in the, the group that's going to heaven. And it's important for us to remember that this group that is not going to heaven is defined by lawlessness. And so do we mean, what do we mean by that? Why did Jesus say he never knew them? Now, I think it's important because we define this and we say this all the time, religion and relationship. That's kind of the comparison we're talking about. People who have a religion and people who have a relationship with Jesus. That's kind of the bottom line of it all. But what do we, what do we mean by that? And, and the best example I have is just thinking about my own personal life. So I was born the son of a Southern Baptist pastor, all right? I'm as Baptist as a Baptist gets, all right? I, I literally rode on the side of the bus driver's seat on the bus that went and picked up the kids for children's church. Y'all, y'all remember bus ministry? If you don't know what bus ministry was, you may not be a Christian. Amen? I'm just telling you. I, swear, I, I know what bus meant. I was on the bus, rode beside my daddy. My dad, that was illegal probably, but it definitely is illegal now. You can't ride on that little flat thing by the... In fact, back my daddy was so um, responsible that uh, I got to sit between the driver's seat and the passenger seat. Were y'all these kids too? I got to change the gears in the stick shift before... Before you, do you know there was a time when you didn't have to wear a seatbelt by law? Those were the good old days, anyway. You know, it's, it's really not. That's really dangerous and foolish. But I used to tell my daddy, gas it, daddy, gas it. 
And he had put the clutch in, and some of y'all are still stuck on, what's a stick shift? All right, but just trust me, all right, trust me. Those were the days. So I rode bus ministry with my daddy, sitting right on the side. We picked up kids. We, we just had a good time. And I was raised in a pastor's home. I've been in church all my life. But this is the absolute fact. You need to hear me, hear my heart. Look, I am not a Christian, not even one like ounce of me is a Christian because my daddy is a Christian. I, I don't even have a step on the stairway to heaven because my mom and daddy knew Jesus. And if our answer to this whole question of are you going to heaven starts with I'm in a Christian family, you're in trouble. That's not why you're a Christian and it's definitely not why you're going to heaven. It's not about what somebody else has done on my behalf. It's not because of how I was raised or because I went to church all of my life or because I was even sprinkled as a baby. This is super important. I wasn't, but I was dedicated. I was dedicated by my mom and dad. We do baby dedications here, and, and that's super important because it's kind of a parent saying, as much as depending on me, I'm going to raise my child to, to know Jesus. But when my mom and dad made that commitment, it didn't save me, guys. I am not a follower of Jesus because my daddy was a pastor. I'm not. Zero. That, that was helpful. It informed me. They trained me right. I knew about Jesus because of it. But there came a time where I had to believe myself. And that's why we call it believer's baptism. It's not a message on baptism, but I think this is a great picture. Because we, we have a conviction that the, the baptism is a, an after step, a step after I personally made a decision for myself to follow Jesus. That's why we call it believer's baptism. We believe for ourselves and then we're baptized. So all that recognized, this is kind of the point of the message that it's a personal decision. It's not something that someone else can do for you. And it doesn't mean that going to church is not good. It's a good thing to go to church, but good things don't get you saved. You know, it's a good thing to give money to charity. But good things don't get you saved. It's a good thing to be a good dad to your kids. It's a good thing to be a good wife to your husband. But doing good things don't get you to heaven. Doing good things don't get you to heaven. Trusting in Jesus with everything that you are. Your whole life. Your whole eternity. That, that's what gets us to heaven. And so we're going to answer that really from a perspective of the scriptures as we walk through it. But it's a personal thing. Philippians, in, in Philippians chapter 2, verse 12, here's what Paul says. Paul says, man, it is a personal thing. You've got to work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. This is something we all have to do. We all have to own it. This is all our responsibility to take personal ownership of our faith. This is not my mama's faith. And my mama's probably watching me. I love you, mama. But this is not, it's not my mama's faith. It's not my daddy's faith. It's mine. I trust Jesus. And if everybody else around me that has influenced me to get where I am or to turn away from Jesus, this is how personal it's got to be. I'm not changing my faith in Jesus. That's the difference in someone who has a religion and someone who has a relationship. Even when the culture changes and shifts and the winds blow a different way, even when the majority of Americans say, well, that thing we used to think was wrong, hey, it's okay now. 
culture changes. Our decisions are not based on what culture has done. Our decisions are based on what Jesus has told us in his word. And so here's the thing. It's not super popular, but it is super truthful. And truth should win over emotion in our hearts every time. Three things we want to look at here in the passage. The first thing is super simple, but here it is. Everyone spends eternity somewhere. This is why this is a super important message. Everyone in this room, everybody online, everybody on your street is going to spend eternity somewhere. They're not going to have soul sleep. The Bible, if we believe the Bible, the Bible does not teach us that your soul is going to sleep at death. It doesn't teach us in annihilation. Some people, for instance, Jehovah's Witness, actually believe when you die that your soul just sleeps and it just is no more. You consciously cease to exist. That is not what the Bible teaches. And so with that in mind, we understand there will be a place called hell. There will be a place called heaven. And all of us will spend eternity in one or two one of those two places. That, that, is, that is what the Bible teaches. And so everyone is going to spend eternity somewhere. So how can we know for sure where we're going to spend eternity? You better believe that's what I would want to know if I was unsure of it today. What does the Bible say about good people? If all good people don't go to heaven, here's the question. Why? That's not fair. Why don't good people go to heaven? Simple answer. No person is good. Now you may say, wait a minute. That doesn't make sense. Well, let's look at Galatians chapter 3, verse 10. should be on your screens. I hope you're jotting down the references because these are very important to go back and even reference later. For all who rely on works of the law. For everybody who relies on good works are under a curse. So by the very decision you're making, by relying on your good works, you're actually cursed by the law. For it's written, cursed be everyone who does not abide by all the things written in the book of the law and do them. What's that mean? It means if you're going that route, there's only two paths. It's either a path of works or a path of grace. And if your salvation's dependent on works, then what, what Paul's saying is, then if you've made one mistake, you're done. It, if you've sinned one time, you're done. Because the law is, is, demands perfection. It demands perfection. And it says, it, it, it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law, for the righteous shall live by faith. But the law is not of faith. Rather, the one who does them shall live by faith. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming the curse for us. Now, here's the cool thing. Recognize this, two paths. One is, I want to be saved by works. The other is, I want to be saved by grace. Before the cross, listen, before Jesus died on the cross for us and rose again, there was only one path. We had to attempt with all that we were to live by the law and to do everything good enough for heaven. And the Old Testament sacrificial system, we'll read about in a minute, they would sacrifice bulls and goats and the sacrifice would, would offer a covering for our sin but it wouldn't totally clean it up. And so here's the problem. The law revealed our sin, which is what the law does. The law shows us we're not perfect. The law shows like a mirror. It's like me looking in a mirror and, <laughs> and say, okay, yeah, I'm fat. All right, so the, the mirror is truth. The mirror doesn't lie. So when we look in the mirror of God's word, we see our faults. We see our deficiencies. You see why it's so important we don't twist them? See why it's so important not to mess up or manipulate the truth? 
All that is is like a clown. It's like this this fun house full of mirrors that are all shaped weird, make us look different. I, I noticed uh, there was a promotion for this uh, meeting I'm preaching at recently, and uh, and and I was joking with the teaching team. It made me look really skinny, and I liked it because you have, you can manipulate a picture. You know, you can kind of make it a little taller, and I look like six two, 150 pounds in that picture. But you know what? It's not true. The truth is, I'm I'm still five nine and a half. 5'10", if, on my license. And, uh, <clears throat> and somewhere around low 200s, that's all I'm going to say. But, uh, but here's the truth. The truth is the truth. It doesn't matter what I want to say. It doesn't matter how I want to see myself. I, I am what I am. And the law reveals who I really am. It doesn't, it doesn't play around. The law shows me truth. And so if I'm depending on works... I'm done. But Jesus, it says, when he died on the cross, he actually removed the curse from us. If we'll go down this path of grace, if we will not try to manipulate the truth, if we will not try to be good enough for heaven, but we will depend on the one who is, if we will actually place our faith in the one who is perfect, then that's when we're not under the curse of the law, but we're under the cross, and the blood of Jesus. Verse 14 says, So that in Christ the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. Now here's the passage I wanted to share with two more here. Hebrews 10.1 says, For since the law has but a shadow of good things to come instead of true form of these realities, it can never Uh, It can never, by the same sacrifices that are continually offered every year, make perfect those who draw near. In other words, it's trying to say the the sacrifices of the bulls and the goats, the sacrifices of the Old Testament abiding by the law, that's not, you can't be saved that way. Otherwise, would they not have ceased to be offered? If the sacrifices were enough, they would have stopped offering, since worshipers, having once cleansed, would no longer have consciousness of sins. But look at verse 3. But in these sacrifices, there is a reminder of sins every year. The reason they were sacrificed, every time they'd say, hey, you're still a sinner. You still fall short. And verse 4 nails this. Listen, for it's impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. And so the Old Testament sacrificial system was insufficient. It was not enough. So not only were we under the curse of the law, but even the sacrificial system couldn't fix us. It couldn't help us. And so Jesus had to come. James chapter 2, verse 10 kind of drives it home about the sin that's in us. For whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become guilty of it all. And this just drives home the, the reality of our hopelessness without Jesus. So if you don't hear anything else, listen to this. If today... You are depending on your works to go to heaven. I hope and pray you'll receive this as love. Listen, if I were, let me say me, I'm a pastor. Been a pastor over 20 years. If I was trying to prove to God I deserved heaven by being good, I would be hopelessly condemned for eternity to a place called hell. It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter how much money you got. It doesn't matter how good of a dad or a mom you are. Listen, it doesn't matter how... Who votes on you most likely to succeed, no matter how good your grades are? No matter how much you've obeyed mom and dad. If you are depending on your works for heaven, you are not going to make it. Why? Because good people don't go to heaven. 
Why don't good people go to heaven? Because there are no good people. There are no good people. You may say, wait a minute, that didn't make sense, man. I know good people. Let me just, this, this is a biblical explanation. Listen, when we say, he's a good man, she's a good woman. Wayne, do you say that? I do, all the time. Here's what I mean by that. I mean, he's a good man compared to bad men, <laughs> right? She's a good woman compared to those low-down women, you know? They're good people. They're good people. What do I mean by that? They're good people compared to bad people. We know what bad people look like. And so our goodness, personal good works, compared to evil wickedness, well, we get it. Yeah, there's a separation there. It's like human morality. That's what we mean by goodness. When it comes to going to heaven, that goodness is meaningless. Nobody's going to ask you at the gates, hey, how good were you compared to Joe? How good were you to, compared to Donald? I didn't want to say Joe without Donald, just in case anybody thinks I was being political, all right? Y'all don't get that. You will later. All right, but uh, compared to so-and-so, Peter, I'm good. Let me in. It's not about that comparison, man. The definition of a good man when it comes to heaven is how do you compare to Jesus? How do you compare to Jesus? And I don't care who you are. I'm being, I'm, with, with all the love I got, listen, I'm not good compared to Jesus. If it's based on what I've done and what I've given and how much I've sacrificed, here's what the Bible says about my goodness. Isaiah 64, 6 says, All our righteous deeds are like polluted garments. My righteousness is like filthy rags. What's that mean? My best is still bad. Compared to the goodness of Jesus, man, I ain't got nothing good to bring. And so what do I do in my midst of personal hopelessness? I've got to depend on a good Savior. Because I know good men don't go to heaven. But sinful men who depended on a good God. Sinful women who've trusted in a Savior who's better than good. Those men and women, those boys and girls, they will spend eternity with Jesus. Good works without a relationship with Jesus are meaningless. You're not going to make it. You're not going to make it if you're dependent on your good works. Because good people don't go to heaven. Because there are no good people. But people who trust Jesus, here's the bottom line. People who have a relationship with Jesus, they go to heaven. And look, I know today we've talked about a lot of stuff. We've heard a lot. We've even said these kind of things almost like every Sunday we talk about. Works don't save you. But man, this kind of message today is so important because it even... It even impacts the way we view the world, the culture. It's why we love everybody. It's why we don't condemn people who are living in sin because you and I are no better than them. If it was based on our works, we'd bust hell wide open. But I'm grateful to God 
that I've trusted Jesus as my Savior. I hope you have too. Man, if you're here today, we have a time of commitment. There's counselors who will be ready and willing to talk with you. If you come forward during this song, we'd love to have them take you to a place where you can hear and have a conversation. You may want to fill out the Connect card and just say, hey, I want to talk to somebody about salvation. You may want to find a minister in the lobby. No matter what it is, don't put it off. Don't put it off. Trust Jesus. Lord, we love you. We thank you for your word. You're so good. And I'm grateful, God, in the midst of a bad world and, and even surrounded by men and women who did not deserve you, you are full of grace and mercy. You're full of truth. We can't run from it. Your word is true, but God, you're, you're so good to give us grace. So, Lord, today I pray that we would not run from this truth but embrace it, that we'd be changed by the power of your word. God, that we would embrace your grace and stop trying to work our way to heaven, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand?